Um, welcome. I'm Dirk Jonkind. I'm one of the members here, and, and I've actually had one of those rare jobs where I get paid to read the Bible. I, I work at Tyndall House as a New Testament researcher. Now, let's read um, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 20. And I'm sure you've read these words before. Luke, 20, Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, later in the service, we will share the Lord's Supper. Now, it's supposed to be a meal. Okay, quite a symbolic meal with a tiny bit of bread and a minuscule cup of juice from grapes, but a meal nonetheless. And the Lord Jesus himself told his disciples to have this symbolic meal together, and he instructed them to do so on the final evening before the day of his crucifixion. Now, the timing here is important. There were only a few hours left before Jesus was going to be betrayed, handed over, put on trial, abused, flogged, and nailed on the cross. These final hours matter because, well, they are the final hours. And at this point, Jesus takes the time to teach his disciples about what is from then on called the Lord's Supper, the meal by which we remember who Jesus is for us. And Jesus takes two items of the Passover meal that he and his disciples were celebrating. Now, that in itself is, of course, another memorial meal. The meal in which the people of Israel remember and celebrate the night that the avenging angel, who was killing all the firstborns of Egypt, passed them by, passed them over. Because the Israelites were hiding behind the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost. Now that, of course, is already a powerful image of salvation. You are safe because a lamb died for you. But now Jesus takes the bread and the cup from this Passover meal and uses these two elements to institute a new meal. This Passover became a changeover. And tonight, I want to think with you for a moment about the cup and about the words that Jesus uses to introduce the cup. And Jesus is cited here in Luke. He says, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, that is poured out for you. Now, think about this moment in history when Jesus speaks these words. Jesus knows that soon he will be handed over 
And right now, he teaches his disciples to celebrate the Lord's Supper with words that will be repeated millions of times in the church. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. These few words are important. They're not just a phrase from a liturgy to be repeated. No, they are intended to help us think about our relationship with God in a way that Jesus explains at right this momentous time in salvation history. But to be honest, these words are not self-evidently clear. Because, let's face it, why is the term covenant used here? And what has covenant to do with blood? Isn't it a bit past us to think about blood covenants and animal sacrifices and all that? I mean, what is it that Jesus wants to say with the words, the new covenant in my blood? And I will give you the conclusion conclusion first, and then we're actually going to unpack these words. When Jesus talks about the blood of the new covenant... He wants to give us a full and absolute assurance that all your sin against God is forgiven completely. There's nothing left of your sin, and God wants you to know how full and complete his forgiveness is. And in Christ, there is nothing of your guilt left. You are set free. God has committed himself to this. Now, that's our application. Let's do the work first. And I realize that when we come to the expression, the new covenant in my blood, there may be one or two stumbling blocks in our way. Let's do the first stumbling block. The first is that we really don't use the word covenant very much. Now, lawyers may do. And experts on marriage may think about marriage as a covenant, and rightly so. But other than those, we don't tend to use it very often. Still, the word covenant is a central idea in the Bible. So much so that we use a Latin synonym for the word covenant to describe the two parts of the Bible. We talk about the Old Covenant, or Old Testament, and the New Covenant, or the New Testament. And that's roughly correct. Now, covenant in the Bible describes the commitment that God makes to the people who are in that covenant. And also the other way around. The way how God relates to his people, and how his people relate to him, is not something haphazard, something improvised, or something that God makes up as we go along. But the relationship between God and his people is set out in a covenant. And it is the covenant that governs the way how God relates to us and how we relate to him. The promises God makes, the blessings he gives. The catch-all term is covenant. Okay, that's the first stumbling block. The second one, animal sacrifice. Um, There is a lot of blood involved, isn't it? In our first reading from Exodus, we heard that blood was used to sprinkle the book, and 
also sprinkle the people in order to give force to the covenant, to make it valid. Now, and that blood in Exodus came from the sacrifices of 12 oxen. What do we think of this? I mean, slowly, as Western society, we have moved into a direction where a God who demanded animal sacrifices as a way to cover up the sins of the people uh, must perhaps be a little bit of a primitive, barbaric God. I mean, we love our animals. We may even appreciate animal rights. And randomly slaughtering animals as part of a religious ritual is cruel. And then sprinkling that blood all over the place seemed just unhygienic and so unsophisticated. I mean, after all, we are the educated urban elite. We don't need to know all that messy stuff. But then there's also that, increasingly so, eating meat is frowned upon. I mean, we want to reduce our carbon footprint and therefore reduce our intake of meat. Doing so is good for your health and it's good for the environment. And this seems far away from all those sacrifices in which part of the animal was burnt on an altar, I mean, imagine the smell, and other parts had to be eaten as part of that very sacrifice. Now, as for the environment, let's face it, back in Exodus, the Israelites did not need to worry about the carbon footprint. But it is worthwhile to think for a moment about our reaction to all those animals being killed and all the blood that is used. If you're sitting here concerned about animal rights, Or perhaps you are a vegetarian or vegan. Some of this imagery that's used may provoke an uh type of reaction. That's a technical term. Uh, (laughs) First of all, let me say this. Do live according to your conscience. Both in what you eat and what you don't eat, do it for the Lord. But I would ask you to be wary of this. Please, oh please, make sure that you do not let your concerns for our stewardship of the natural world or for animal rights or your health, do not let those things get in the way of appreciating how God has chosen to reveal himself. God chose the sacrifice of animals to teach us something deep. The sacrifice of an animal, their life being taken as a substitute for your life, and their spilled life, their blood used to validate a covenant, that is God's most powerful picture to demonstrate to his people what Jesus has come to do for us. Please, do trust God that the animal sacrifices were needed to show his grace, to show that there is a price for sin to be paid, that justice can be done and can be restored because a life is taken and blood is poured out. Now now we're going to think about two things about the new covenant. And the first is, the new covenant is eternal. So we have discussed the idea of covenant and animal sacrifice. We can go back to the words that Jesus spoke. This is the new covenant in my blood, 
which is poured out for you. First question, why does Jesus talk about a new covenant? And Jesus' words are, of course, a reflection of what we read in Exodus 24, 8. Now, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Well, sometimes reading the Bible is simple. Jesus talks about the new covenant because there was an earlier covenant that had to be replaced. And that earlier covenant is, surprise, surprise, the old covenant. Now, let's read what one of the most famous passages about the new covenant has to say about this. And this comes from Jeremiah 31, verse 31 and 32. The days are coming, declares the Lord. Can we get the right slide of Jeremiah? Yeah, great. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, there are a number of covenants in the Bible. Um, Some of you may remember those. God gave a covenant to Noah, which is basically a promise, namely that God would not destroy the earth again by flood. God also made a covenant with Abraham. God promised to be Abraham's God, make Abraham into a great family, bless all the earth through Abraham's offspring, and Abraham, on his part, was to trust God that he would really do this. And the sign of this covenant was that Abraham and his seed would be circumcised. Now, these two covenants were never broken. They stand. And then there was the covenant that God made with the people of Israel after God had led them out of Egypt. And earlier, we read about how that covenant was ratified. And a lot of space in the Bible is devoted to describing this old covenant in the tiniest detail. A lot of space is given to describe the failings of God's people to keep this covenant. Almost from the very beginning. Why is it the old covenant? Because from the very beginning it was clear that the people of God would never be able to serve God under this covenant. This is the covenant that is called the old covenant because it is the only covenant that was broken by the people and came to nothing. Not because there was anything wrong with what God had set out in the covenant, but because the people of God are simply too weak, too prone to mess things up, or in different words, people of God are too sinful to keep this covenant. The old covenant was broken. But the new covenant is new. And it is eternal. And one of the common synonyms for the new covenant is actually the expression, the everlasting covenant. Or the eternal covenant. Okay, that's about the new covenant. Second point. The new covenant starts with forgiveness. 
So Jesus announces that the new covenant that was promised in the Old Testament would be established in his blood that was poured out for his disciples. Now, under the old covenant, oh sorry, under the old covenant, lots of animals were sacrificed. And their blood was there to make atonement for the sins of the people. By the way, the old covenant was broken because the people abandoned the God of the covenant altogether. I mean, the old covenant was not broken because people sinned against the regulations of the law. I mean, that was why there were many sacrifices to make uh, that uh, whole again. No, the old covenant was broken because of the heart of the people was far from God. They served other gods. But what about the new covenant? How does that start? Well, not a single animal is required. It is an everlasting covenant based on a single sacrifice that cannot be repeated. It starts with the poured out blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus, knowing that the time of the cross is near, takes the cup of wine that was there for the Passover meal, points at it and says, this is the new covenant in my blood that's poured out for you. The sacrifice of the Son of God is sufficient to take away all sin forever. And that is how the new covenant comes into being. It starts with the forgiveness of our sin. One powerful sacrifice to take away every sin, to wash away all guilt. The opening move of the new covenant is the radical purging away of sin. Jesus' blood is poured out, and in that, the new covenant is established. Forgiveness is not a stipulation or a regulation within the new covenant. No, it forms the basis, the start, and the heart of it. I mean, let's go back to Jeremiah 31, and we pick up in verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Here we have two blessings of the new covenant and a few words about the first one. We read that the law, the will of God, will be written in the minds and on the hearts of people. Now, God had just said in the previous verses that the new covenant will not be like the covenant made at Mount Sinai. Anyone what was that covenant written on? Two tablets of stone that Moses carried down the mountain and smashed apart when he saw that the people had already made a golden calf and were worshipping it. What's the new covenant written on? It's written in our minds and on our hearts. How's God going to do this? Well, 
God spoke to the Israelites from the mountain when he gave the Ten Commandments, actually roughly 50 days after they had celebrated Passover and left Egypt. What is the other thing that happened 50 days after celebrating Passover? Well, we even call it, no, the 50-day feast, but then in Greek, it's Pentecost. That was when God, the Holy Spirit, first came to the people of God and renewed their heart and came to live in the hearts of believers. Okay, back to Jeremiah. Next verse in Jeremiah, verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, here we have another two blessings from within the new covenant. And though I wish we had the time to unpack the first one and see how Jesus tells his disciples that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will teach the disciples all things so that they know God, no, we stick ruthlessly with our main point tonight in the second half of this verse. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Forgiveness, complete, absolute It is part of the new covenant. Now, we don't read here in Jeremiah how this forgiveness will be achieved. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear that this forgiveness of the new covenant rests in his blood that is poured out, his blood given for us. But as we said, this forgiveness is not just another blessing that comes with the new covenant, because What is the first word of the quote on the screen? It starts with for. Of course, God could have said, and I will forgive their wickedness. But he does not do it. The forgiveness is not an additional blessing. It is a foundational blessing. For I will forgive. That's how it starts and everything builds up from there. The blood of animals, the blood of bulls, of sheep, they had symbolic value, pointing towards the real forgiveness that was to come. And that forgiveness to come became reality in the shed blood of Christ. We read earlier that the words of Jesus about the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper, as they were recorded in in Luke. I think it is beautiful to compare what Luke says to how Matthew taught these words to the church. Matthew records these words like this. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, The account in Luke puts the emphasis on the new covenant and the forgiveness of sin that is implicit in it. Matthew concentrates explicitly on forgiveness. The blood of the covenant, therefore forgiveness of sin. That is the founding event of the new covenant. 
Now, we've done the hard work. And now we can think about our own place in all this. Okay, first of all, there are many blessings for us to enjoy as Christians. Now, we, we live close to the Lord. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, etc. And all of these are firm and solid because God has committed himself in the new covenant to bless his people. But the basis of all these blessings is that God says at the very start, your sins are forgiven. Too often, we give the impression that God's forgiveness of people who come to him is sort of conditional, that we need to do something beyond trusting in Jesus' sacrifice. And you may have a guilty conscience, something you have done that keeps nagging you. And you feel that you have to go to Jesus again and again because that sin still hurts so much. Well, tonight we have here Jesus' answer to your pain. His sacrifice does not need to be repeated. Jesus does not need to be crucified again. His blood does not need to be poured out again. He has forgiven you completely. And if you feel uneasy to accept that gift, uneasy because it seems something too big, too radical, well, God wants to give you that certainty, that assurance of forgiveness. He has committed himself to forgive you in a formal covenant with an oath, with a promise through the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. The blood of the new covenant washes you clean. It washes your conscience. Yes, but we are weak. Yes, we are weak. And we do forget. And therefore we need reminding. Reminding not of what we need to do, but of what Christ has done for us. And this is why in his mercy, at that moment in time, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. For the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given us so much more than we deserve. You've given us forgiveness in the most radical way, and you paid the price yourself. Father, we we thank you for your indescribable blessings. And Father, we thank you for one another, that you help us to 
remind one another of these things. We want to thank you that you have given us bread and wine to remember who the Lord Jesus is and what we have received in him. Father, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for the champion of our faith, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that in you, we are eternally secure. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen.